Hello and welcome to Holmes Borden and the Watson Papers. This is your host, Chris Dilworth. Thanks for joining me. I may have mentioned already that in my experience doing criminal defense work, I quickly learned that the smarter someone was, the harder it tended to be to catch that person in a lie. And obviously, the success of the person who was lying would depend on how much evidence the questioner had. But as a general rule, smart people were harder to catch in lies. And that makes sense because they're able to think ahead and they're able to anticipate what kinds of questions are going to be asked. They're able to put themselves in the questioner's position and anticipate what they are going to need to explain. And then they can keep the story straight in their own minds. And I'm going to assume that Sherlock Holmes and Watson had learned this lesson as well in their careers as detectives. Although Watson wasn't technically a detective, he obviously picked up a lot of information and techniques and theories from following Sherlock and participating in his investigations. So I'm assuming that as they listened to Emma tell this story, they were thinking that she was intelligent, probably quite intelligent, Maybe she wasn't a genius, but she and Lizzie were both apparently quite smart. They were certainly smart enough to outwit the police. So I wonder whether Watson and Holmes were considering this as they listened to her version of events. Were they asking themselves, is this a smart person who's lying to us? And again, think about how much of a disadvantage Sherlock was operating under. He had almost no evidence that he could use independently to compare to the version that she was telling him. And again, I'm going to mention how Watson was really struck by Emma's self-possession. She seemed as strong and determined as Lizzie, but she wasn't rash. She wasn't volatile. So Watson begins to wonder, who's the dominant sibling? Have people been thinking it's Lizzie simply because she's more impulsive, she's more outspoken, or is Watson missing something? And connected to that, Watson's wondering, what is Emma's game? What is her motive here? What kind of loyalty does she have to Lizzie? She's clearly been covering for her. She's clearly played not just the role of an older sister, but the role of a mother for much of their lives together. Is that still the case? Is Emma still trying to protect her younger sister? And all these thoughts are going through his mind while he's trying to concentrate on Emma's version. Now, it's interesting because one of the things that Sherlock asks Emma right around the time where we broke off in the last episode is how she views Moriarty. How does she feel about him? And she says what Watson would have expected her to say, that she loathed him that he had ruined her sister's life, that he uses people, that he placed Lizzie in terrible danger, that he's not a gentleman, that she wishes Lizzie had never met him. By involving Lizzie, he has dragged me into this as well. It's not what I wanted. I never wanted this. I never wanted to see my father or my stepmother dead. The fact that we had disagreements doesn't mean that I wanted to see either of them dead. She said, I think that Moriarty made his mind up early to kill my father and my stepmother, and that he had planned all of this out in advance. And as for Lizzie, what did she know? What was she thinking? How much was she involved in the planning, if at all? Emma consistently said, whenever this came up in the course of her discussion, in the course of her, what I've called a confession, she said repeatedly, 
that she didn't think her sister had ever expressly agreed to the murders. And to the extent that Moriarty had ever suggested it, that Lizzie would have said no. She didn't think that Moriarty had ever told Lizzie a specific plan, that it never got beyond statements like, your stepmother is ruining your life, she's turning your father against you, she's trying to deprive you of your rightful inheritance, your father's not being loyal to you, your father's under your stepmother's control. She didn't think it really progressed beyond that. As to whether Lizzie should have known what was coming, Emma said, yes, maybe, but remember that everything happened within a few days. In other words, she only had a few days to figure out how she was going to respond to the fact that her father and stepmother had discovered her secret. She didn't have a lot of time to plan it out, and Emma wasn't present to talk to her and advise her. And given the limited amount of time and the fact that Emma wasn't there to help her, maybe it's not fair to say that she should have known, because the events really happened quickly. Holmes wanted some information. He wanted Emma to weigh in or tell him what Lizzie might have known or what Lizzie might have said to her about a number of things that happened on Wednesday, and that included whether or not Lizzie had tried to buy poison at the drugstore in town. And Emma said, no, I don't think she did, because, as I said, I don't think Lizzie had planned or wanted to kill my stepmother or my father, so why would she have tried to buy the poison? And there's no way that she would have bought this to put on her, her capes. She never used this, to my knowledge. I, I think it was a case of mistaken identity. And that's what Lizzie told me. She insisted that she hadn't left the house that Wednesday, that she had been sick and didn't feel well until she finally left the house Wednesday night when she went to see Alice. Sherlock asked why Mrs. Borden would have thought that she'd been poisoned. Emma didn't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it was Mrs. Borden's way of saying that she suspected Lizzie of trying to harm her. Maybe she was doing this in a way that wasn't particularly conscious or thought out. Maybe it was conscious. Maybe she was trying to get the message out to everybody that if I die, look for evidence that I've been poisoned. She may have been saying it so that knowing that Lizzie would hear it and hoping that it would discourage Lizzie from trying to harm her or Mr. Borden. At any rate, if Lizzie had actually purchased this or tried to purchase it, she wouldn't have done it on her own initiative. It would have been at the urging of Moriarty or with his approval. And that's clearly not his style. He likes to dismember people and kill them violently. Poison isn't his method. As for why she visited Alice Russell, I can't tell you. I'm not sure. I can only guess. I know she was anxious about this meeting that was scheduled for the next day. Who wouldn't be? This was clearly troubling her, and she was really worried about what was going to happen, and she wasn't feeling particularly optimistic. And she wanted somebody to talk to. I wasn't there. I was in Fairhaven. She couldn't talk to me. She couldn't talk to anybody else. She had no other close friends that she could confide in that were there nearby, and that's why she went to Alice. She was the next best thing. I suppose that subconsciously, Lizzie suspected that Moriarty would get violent, would do something terrible the next day. And maybe she said these things so that Alice could confirm that Lizzie had been worried. But other than that, I don't know. I believe that my sister let Moriarty into the house with her when she returned on Wednesday night. She hasn't told me specifically, but it must have been done that way. Either that or she left a door open when she came home 
or earlier in the evening. She may have opened the bulkhead to the cellar and he may have gotten in that way. I'm not sure. I don't know whether he slept in the cellar. If she let him in when she returned and sent him upstairs, then he would have slept in my bedroom, probably. As for Thursday morning, here's my understanding as to what happened with Mrs. Borden. First of all, Moriarty had made his way upstairs, whether he came in in the middle of the night through the cellar and crept upstairs or whether he came in with my sister Wednesday night, I don't know. But my understanding is that he was up in my sister's bedroom Thursday morning when she got up and went downstairs. And when it was time for my sister to speak to Mrs. Borden, she approached her in the guest bedroom. She knew that Mrs. Borden would be up there to make the bed or strip the sheets or do something because my uncle had spent the night there and that was what Mrs. Borden tended to do when my uncle stayed over. I believe she went downstairs to make sure that Bridget was outside. That's why she went to the screen door and asked Bridget, are you going to wash the windows? She wanted to make sure that she would have some privacy. And I think she had asked Mrs. Borden to wait for her because she wanted to to speak to her in advance of this meeting that was scheduled for the afternoon. Lizzie did tell me about this conversation. She was willing to talk about this and to talk about what happened. She said that she did her best to be humble and apologetic, and she pleaded with our stepmother. She begged her. She said, I fell in love with someone. I couldn't help it. I acted on my feelings. I'm sorry if I offended you or if I upset you or if I upset father, but can't you understand? You must understand. You didn't marry father until you were in your 30s. You know what it's like to reach the age of 30 and not be married and not have any serious prospects, not to have somebody wooing you, no suitors. That was the position I was in when I turned 30, when I went to Europe. And it was very much the same situation for you when you met father. So can't you understand how tempting this was? And I was caught off guard. I didn't expect to meet anybody. I'd never met anybody like him. He was such a gentleman. He was so sophisticated. He was handsome. He paid a great deal of attention to me. You know me. I'm impulsive. I have strong feelings, and I I let them get the better of me. But can't you understand? Can't you support me? Please, can't you help me? Can't you intercede on my behalf with Father? Can't you try to convince him that this was a mistake, that we can make it right I can marry him. We want to get married. I want you to meet him. He's a wonderful man. Can't you find it in your heart to forgive me? And can't you ask Father to do that? I'm ready to marry Mr. Carter. He and I are ready to do this any day. We just want your blessing. We want to make everything right. I know that Father cares very much. I know that Father cares very much about his reputation. And I'm sorry if I harmed it or if if I in any way endangered it and I wish I could go back and change everything. Well, as you can imagine, this sort of petered out. Lizzie did the best she could. It was hard because Mrs. Borden was facing her. They were right next to each other on the bed, sitting on the edge of the bed in the guest bedroom. Mrs. Borden was turned sort of in the direction of the door that went out onto the landing. And Lizzie was looking, sitting with her back to the door, looking to her right, looking at Mrs. Borden. And the vibes she was getting from Mrs. Borden were really discouraging. There were these expressions, this body language, this contempt, this feeling of victory and superiority that Mrs. Borden was projecting. So when Lizzie had finished, Mrs. Borden had her chance. And this was clearly her fantasy. I mean, she had been waiting for this for a long time. The idea of having Lizzie Lizzie come to her and beg for help and seeing Lizzie humbled was her wildest dream, her wildest fantasy. 
And in a nutshell, she said, you've always been a spoiled, cruel, and selfish person. You've treated me and my family like dirt. Your behavior five years ago was unforgivable. I was just helping my sister. I was trying to make sure that she didn't lose her house. It's the only thing I ever asked your father to do. And it wasn't for me. It didn't benefit me personally. It was something that I was doing for someone else. And I'm sure that concept is entirely foreign to you. Your church work is a joke. The only reason you do it is to climb the social ladder, to meet people that might invite you to their fancy parties. You don't care about anyone. And now, when you're in trouble, you come begging with your fake regret. You brought this on yourself, and I knew it was only a matter of time before you self-destructed. Let me tell you how I found out about this scoundrel, this heel, this womanizer, this person that you say you love. I listened in. I, I stood outside the sitting room door a day or two before you and Emma went on your visits about two weeks ago, and I heard you talk about this man. I heard you talk about how much you were looking forward to seeing him. And I waited until you and Emma had gone, then I told your father. I told him exactly what I'd heard, and he gave me the key to your room. You know I never had one, but he gave it to me, and that is how I found your letters. Those letters, if you want to call them that, that that pornography, full of of smut and utterly indecent. Whoever this man is, whoever you say he is, he'll leave you the minute he learns that you've been disinherited. And your father has no desire to meet him. Your father will never acknowledge him, will never shake his hand, will never allow him in this house. Don't even try to bring him here. You have broken your father's heart. And when we meet this afternoon, he's going to tell you that himself. He's going to bring back $1,000 and he's going to give it to you. And then he will tell you he wants you out of the house today. He never wants to hear from you again. He never wants to hear your name again. He wants you to move. You better start packing now. At that point, at that point, having gotten her licks in, and I'm sure I left some stuff out. I'm sure that Watson didn't get everything. He's scribbling away furiously, trying to keep up with this. With that, Mrs. Borden stands up. And she's standing so that she's looking at the doorway out to the landing because she's obviously intending to leave Lizzie there. And Lizzie's back is turned to the door. And Mrs. Borden stops. And there's something about the way she stops. There's like a, she stops like a jerk or there's like a, she's startled. And Lizzie looks up because she's not looking at the door. She's looking away from the door. She's looking at Mrs. Borden's face. And she sees surprise, indignation, anger, and fear chase themselves across Mrs. Borden's face in quick succession. So Lizzie turns, and there's Moriarty in the doorway. And he's dressed in a long, light summer overcoat. I think they called them dusters. He's got a cloth cap and he's wearing work gloves, and he's got something in his right hand. And for a brief instant, as Lizzie looked at this, she was asking herself, why is he dressed to go out? Why is he leaving? And she panicked for a second, and then he started forward. And as he came forward, he raised his right hand, and she saw the hatchet. Lizzie instinctively darted out of the way and went to the corner around Moriarty as he came towards Mrs. Borden. Lizzie started towards the door and they passed each other. And Mrs. Borden just stood there with a look of disbelief and she began to say something. She started to stammer something out. 
but it was cut short and it ended in some muffled cry. Moriarty hit her. Lizzie could hear the sound of the hatchet hit her and she turned and saw blood spurting from the left side of Mrs. Borden's head. There was a flap of skin that was cut free from the side of Mrs. Mrs. Borden's head and she spun away and then she was hit again quickly on the shoulder near the neck and down she went. She crumpled to the floor and Moriarty was behind her, astride her. And that's the last that Lizzie saw as she ran. She ran from the room and she went into her bedroom where she tried to block her ears, but she couldn't drown out the thudding again and again, the sound of the hatchet coming down on Mrs. Borden's skull. It was like someone hammering fence posts into place. And every time Moriarty swung, there was a faint grunt with the exertion. When it was over, after he'd stopped swinging and the thudding had stopped, she could hear him breathing, the labored breathing, which gradually diminished. And then and she couldn't hear the breathing anymore. She just heard him moving quietly around the room. When he came into her bedroom, he'd taken off the overcoat and the cap and the gloves, and he was dressed in the same clothes he had worn the night before when she let him in, in his fashionable outfit and he found her sitting on the edge of her bed. He came and he knelt down. He took her hands in his, and he began to talk. So, we're going to leave off there. We will pick up with a narrative next time. I hope you join me. We'll talk about Mr. Borden's demise. We'll talk about the plans that Moriarty formed. He was the one, obviously, who was going to figure out how to get through this without getting caught. We'll talk a little bit about Lizzie's reaction and how she pulled herself together. I hope you join me. I look forward to it. And until then, take care.